Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Full Plate, Full Cup podcast. We are so excited today to have with us John Replogel. And for those of you who don't know who John is, I'm just going to go ahead and read his illustrious bio before we dive in. So John Replogel is a leader in the conscious consumer and mission-driven brand movement with extensive experience leading fast growth, high-performing businesses, including 7th Generation and Burt's Bees. He also served as the president of Unilever's skincare business and president of the Guinness Bass Import Company. John holds degrees from Harvard Business School and Dartmouth College. Currently, John is a founding partner of One Better Ventures, a real leader 100 social impact firm that advises and invests in mission-driven consumer goods companies. One of his newest endeavors is as a founding partner of Take Your Seat, a company created to provide a professional networking community to build diverse boardrooms across America. He and his wife, Kristen, live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and they are proud to have raised four smart, strong daughters with big hearts. Wow, four daughters. thats That might be the Woo! most impressive thing in the whole bio. <laughs> True. Four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's John, outstanding. Yeah. Well, John, we're so happy to have you here. And, you know, you and I met when you became the board chair of my former employer, Sakara Life. Um, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about what you currently do as a founding partner of One Better Ventures. Well, thank you, Amanda, and good to be with you and Rebecca. Uh, it's a pleasure, and hello to everyone. Um, uh, so what do I do? I, I've had a career running businesses, and about midway through my career, I really decided to focus on impact, businesses with clear purpose, mission, uh, that make a positive impact. And I really loved that half of my life that that's been the most rewarding part of my career and because i've been able to be part of some of these pioneering companies like birds bees and seventh generation i've had the exposure of working with great people and being able to shape the industries and frankly the movement seventh gen for example was a founding b corp along with patagonia and with all that kind of in my lexicon in my experience that I did make the decision at some point that it was probably more appropriate to go wider than deeper and not run another business, but share what I've learned in business with an array of companies. And so I got together with a few business partners that I'd worked with over the years, all of whom had shared this experience and philosophy or ideology. And we formed One Better Ventures to help nurture, coach, develop, uh, empower and and fuel the next generation of great impact growth companies in the health and wellness space. And so that's how we spend our time. I'm incredibly blessed that I get to work with an array of great businesses, founders, leaders, teams, 
and, and feel really, really good about the impact we're having, you know, leveraging our knowledge through them to serve more people and, and to serve our planet. Yeah. Oh, it's so needed in this world to have uh, businesses really coming together with individuals to create impact. I mean, it won't happen any other way, right? Um, That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, because, you know, most of our listeners are not where you are in your career, right? They, uh, they're they getting started or they're sort of at the midpoint. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the early days, like when you were a recent college or business school grad, how did you cut your chops? How did you kind of build this career that took you to uh, these these great heights that so many people aspire to? Yeah, I, thank you. I, I think there are a couple of things that really helped to fuel my success and my my journey of discovery um, first was just, you know, it starts with a real desire to develop self-insight, right? I, I think if you're going to be a great leader, if you're going to realize your fullest potential, then it's really important to spend time understanding who you are in a truthful way and what matters to you most. What are those core values? What are the principles? And how can you keep peeling away the layers of the onion to better understand and know thyself as as the mm. saying goes and so that's i think that's a foundational principle for for the ability to build a, a great career you think about it almost as if you're building a, a building a tower you have to set the foundation in place and self insights that foundation um the next incredible blessing in my life was mentorship. Uh, I had the good fortune to work with great people who invested time and energy in my development, who were forgiving when I made mistakes, who were coaches who offered you know fair and honest feedback, including difficult feedback, and who would take risks with me. Um, I, I think the third then comes down to, frankly, a combination of courage and experimentation, which is... I didn't always take the straightest path. Um, I got I got off the path at times. I tried risky things and new endeavors. And in doing that, I I surprised myself. I learned a lot. Uh, sometimes I failed, but you know, the, the only failure is failing to learn. And so I was able to you know pick up some wisdom at a young age through that courageous experimentation. I think a lot of people take too narrow and too safe a path these days. Yeah. And so th those are some of the early pieces of the formula that I think really helped me uh, live to my fullest potential and, and, and bloom, you know, a, as a leader. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing those three things. I'm sure that all of our listeners can benefit from leaning into all of them. So take notes. Um, you know, the first one that you mentioned was developing self-insight. And I read an interview where you described this spear in the chest moment, which was a big self-insight moment for you that really sounds pivotal in the trajectory of your career. So would you mind sharing that with all of our listeners? Sure. Yeah, that really was a pivotal moment. I was 35 years old. I was married. I had two children. I was doing just great professionally. I was president of Guinness uh, Beer Company and just, you know... I felt a calling to really understand what I was here to do. What is what is my calling? What's my service to the world? So I was working with a coach on my mission statement. And uh, it was a Saturday. And I agreed with my wife that at noon, you know, she was off. I would take the kids. And uh, I just needed a little time with my coach. And we were doing a call. And 
my head was full of thoughts and my wife knocked on the door. I said, Bill, I've got to run uh, my turn. And uh, I got in the car with my kids. I started backing up. I looked in the rearview mirror and, and I saw them looking back at me. And I was deep in this moment of what am I here for? And it, it struck me. I just put the car in park and I realized that what I was doing was not aligned with where I wanted to go. I was not serving my children. I was not serving their future. Um, everything I was doing was about the here and now. And frankly, it struck me as a bit selfish uh, and shallow. So uh, I went back into the house and I've told this story before. I did unbuckle the kids and bring them in. <laughs> Good job. Someone said, did you leave them in the car? I said, no. You wouldn't have a wife and two more kids if you hadn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, and I just, I looked at my wife and she could see it on my face. And I said, honey, I think I've got to quit my job. And she said, okay. You know? <laughs> and we started talking and she supported me and I went and I changed my job. And, and that's when everything shifted for me. I went from uh, really thinking differently, working differently. Uh, I feel, you know, so much more fulfillment. And that was 22 years ago. It's hard to believe, but wow. But but that was that that journey, that foundation stuff, that self inside. I was working hard to figure out what I was here for. And I love this saying by by Buckner. He says that um, your your calling is where your great strengths meet the world's great needs. Mm. You know, so if we can all figure out where our great strengths collide with the world's great needs and put ourselves there, we'll find our calling. We'll we'll really have, you know, a guiding hand uh, and everything, you know, for all of us will not only be more rich and rewarding, uh, but more impactful, you know, and, and that's that for me is about building a legacy. Yeah, yeah. And not to put you on the spot, but do you have a personal mission statement today that you could oh, share with us? I certainly do. And, we thought know, you might. Right. <laughs> we love a personal mission and, statement. You're our people, John. You are our people. <laughs> well, I know. I know you're. You've got listeners, and so they're they're not seeing what I'm doing. But here is uh, I'm holding up a sheet. So I'm really rigorous about uh, goal setting as well. So these are my 2023 goals. I write them every single year. I hold myself accountable. I share them with friends. So, you know, just so, you know, here's 23 goals. Here are my 22 goals. I can go back and back, but here's a mission statement I wrote in 1999, right? Wow. Um, so my, my mission simply is to inspire positive change for people and planet. Inspire positive change for people and planet. That's what I try to spend my time on. Um, and I'm at my best when I'm dead center on my mission. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your personal mission statement. Sure. And thank you for showing us your goals for, we'll have to post that video to Instagram so everyone can see that you literally have your goals typed out and organized onto sheets of paper on your desk. You did not have to go searching through a basement to pull those out for us. Nope. Um, so for goal setting, right? It's something that people are very interested in doing. Everyone sets goals at the beginning of the year. And a lot of times, not all of those goals come through, but you just shared that you hold yourself accountable. So what is one tip that you could give for holding yourself accountable to achieving your goals? Great. So um, let me give you a really simple tip. First thing is, if you set a goal, you are much more likely to achieve 
greater success than if you don't set a goal. If you set a goal and you write it down, the probability of you fulfilling that go goal goes up by 50%. If you set a goal, write it down and share it with someone, that goes up to like 90%. <laughs> and so I write these every year between Christmas and New Year's. That's my time. And I know it's my time. I have clarity of thought. I spend time on it. And, and then I share my goals with several other people, but my wife, importantly, my business partners, and then a couple of core friends who also do the same exercise. And then we check in with each other. We, between kind of January 1 and the 14th, we will share them. And then we do a mid-year check-in. You know, uh, if we see each other sooner, we'll do that too. But but we're conscious about checking in with each other. So I've got accountability partners who hold me to my goals and I never get all of them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in, in 2021, I had 21 goals. I learned that was a dumb idea. You know? <laughs> a lot of goals. Too it's many. like, a, it's like yeah. good for social media, but not good for real for life, sure. right? <laughs> yeah. This this year, I, I slimmed it down to eight. So mm -hmm. much, much better. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Everybody needs a, a goal setting squad. It sounds like that is the, that is really yep. the secret. And that's, that gives me some, that gives me some ideas. I mean, Amanda, we have to share our personal goals with each other. I know. After this. I know. I know. Tomorrow, tomorrow. But, but let me encourage you to start somewhere. You don't, yeah. don't go crazy. Just start. Right. And I often start with a theme or an idea. Right. And so this year's theme for me is, is around a bit of a reset. Uh, that's an important notion. And the big word as well for me this year is awe. You know, mm -hmm. I want more awe in my life. So how and where will I discover more awe? I love that so much. And create well, it. You know. Yeah. And that's yeah. Uh, that's a nice segue um, because you believe, as we do, that businesses can be a powerful force for good in the world. And love for you to speak to it a bit. You know, I think uh, businesses can sometimes get vilified and kind of lumped into the same boat, like the people versus the businesses. And we know, and you know, that, that that's not true. I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how businesses can be a force for good in this world. Yeah, Amanda, and I, I will, I'll go one step further. I think not only can business be a force for good, it must. Mm. And I also believe business is the most powerful force on earth. Um, when you think about the challenges our world faces, um, be it about loss of biodiversity or climate change or uh, social injustice, the healthcare crisis, you know, there are so many of these factors. The only way we're going to solve those is through pace and scale. We've got to move quickly and we've got to move in a big way. And government can't do that for us but business can, and we can't really do it as individuals, right? Everyone should do their part, but but it's the collective power of business. The top 200 corporations have the same wealth as the poorest four-fifths of humanity. Think about that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so with great power comes great responsibility, and, and we've got to put that power to work. And that's why I'm a big believer in the B Corp movement and the idea of using business as a force for good in holding ourselves accountable to care for all stakeholders, not just shareholders, but but for employees, the community and the planet around us. And to set, you know, really clear metrics around that. 
Uh, B-Lab has uh, something called the impact assessment. More and more companies are using that. You know, some 10,000 companies a year review themselves against it. And we now have, you know, thousands of benefit corps around the world, which is great. But we need more. and We need a lot more a lot sooner. Um, and so a big part of what my partners and I do at One Better is try to help companies yeah. move on that journey. A quick illustration, we partnered up with the Carlisle Group, a fabulous private equity group, and we acquired a company called Everyman Jack, a men's grooming range mm-hmm. in San Francisco area. And amazing story. The founder really held a lot of these values, but but hadn't really codified them into the business. Well, you know, through a lot of hard work and a great leadership team, they, they as of last Friday, uh, became a benefit corp. And so, you know, it, that's that's what gives me lift and gives me hope is that we can take these great businesses and through a bit of rigor and hard work and process, um, really make sure that they're they're maximizing their impact for for the greater good. Yeah, you know, back, it must have been probably, I guess, 2020, but when I was at Saqqara, you came and gave a fireside chat and kind of put you on the spot. I asked you the question. So when, you know, in business, when you're making a decision that profits come into conflict with doing right by the planet, or people, what do you choose? And I won't give the answer away, but I'm going to kind of re-ask you that now, you know, when you're running a business and you've got one a choice and it's like, well, do I choose profit? Do I choose, you know, planet and people? What do you choose and how do you choose? And the answer is yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to, to have a uh, sustainable, high-impact business, you have to make a profit, right? It's really important. We... Don't get me wrong, I'm a capitalist. I believe that so much good comes from capitalism. But but capitalism for too long had internalized the profits and externalized all of the, the deficits, the downsides, the pollution, whatever it may be. And we need to own that, right? And so great businesses embrace the tension uh, between the two. Mm-hmm. They're what I call not or companies, but and companies. They they are purpose and profit. And those are the most powerful and enduring businesses. And Michael Porter at the Harvard Business School writes about this now. He's He uh, talks about not all profit is created equal. Profit with purpose serves a greater good. And so there is always a trade-off in these things. But what you never want to do is violate your core principles uh, in the pursuit of profit. And a great illustration of that was seventh generation. Seventh generation derives its name from the great law of the Iroquois Confederacy. The, 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 the tribal nations came together before the U.S. was a nation, and they wrote the great law. And the great law says that in our every deliberation, we will consider the impact of our decisions on the next seven generations. And that was the principle that guided us at seventh generation. And so you have to take long-term thinking into account. You have to take stakeholders into account. And if you simply try to maximize on profit alone, you will subvert you know, your mission and ultimately underserve your consumer and your stakeholders and therefore underserve everybody. So, so you have to find that right balance. But I'm a principle first leader. I think if you get your principles and purpose right, you get your people right, and you get your product right. Those are the inputs, and profit follows. 
So one of the ways that you impact these and businesses, as you call them, is through venture capital with One Better Ventures. And so venture capital is one of those things that people are curious about, but a lot of folks don't truly understand, or they may have some preconceived notions about, unless you're directly involved in it, you kind of hear things through the grapevine. So can you walk us through what it means to be a venture capitalist and how venture money helps these innovative and businesses exist? Yeah, thank you. Uh, venture capital, quite simply, is just the fuel to take big ideas and make them bigger or bring them to life. And so many founders are full of great big ideas and capital is is the fuel that makes them go. And so ultimately what you want to do is find a way to successfully partner with founders to help them enable their vision. And there are a lot of people out there with capital that use that as a way to take advantage. We like to think about capital as a way to create advantage, right? So how do we enable the team, the founder to create advantage, to create opportunity for growth and for impact? And so we're more of a social capital type of organization where we we only work with companies that have clarity of purpose, that have uh, serve a higher calling, that uh, measure their impact. That's where and how we put our money to work. And fortunately, there are more and more firms like One Better Venture that are thinking with a different lens and are measuring return on investment, not just simply in dollars, but in lives changed in service to the community and in these other really important non-monetary ways. Yeah. And so your company specifically invests in mission-driven businesses, which has become a bit of a buzzword lately or a buzz phrase. Sure. So how do you define what it means to be a mission-driven business? Yeah. A mission-driven business serves more than their shareholders and has clarity of purpose. And by purpose, the question that we ask of those companies and of their founders is, why do you exist? Why do you have the right to exist? You know, what are you called to do? What is your service to others? So great companies meet unmet consumer needs. You know, we're, we're a consumer guy. So, you know, health and wellness and, and the consumer is always central for us. So what's the unmet need that you're going to serve in a better way? And how do you do that in the most positive and constructive way? for your stakeholders, your employees, your customers, and your shareholders? How do you do that such that you're thinking about that and take a balanced approach in terms of, you know, what your scorecard looks like? So those are kind of the rigorous screens that we put companies through before we're prepared to make an investment. Yeah, and uh, kind of on a on the similar side, is there, you know, because there's probably people listening, we have a lot of uh, our clients who are founders, you know, would be founders. And is there anything that just immediately kills a deal, like something either technical or, 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 yeah. or you know, in the in the business itself that you're like, eh, sorry, we're out? Yeah, we have a no asshole policy. We love that. Okay. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. No time for those people. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, you know, People make all the difference. And, you know, I spend a lot of time helping organizations build teams, recruiting, whatever. And I start every interview I do with, okay, tell me about your goals and your mission. What are your core values? How do you show up as a leader? 
These are the really important questions. Because if you get someone who really, again, knows themselves, knows how they show up, then you can work with them. You need a, a growth mindset and openness. And we just time, nothing matters more than time and, and where we place our time and who we work with. We just have to make sure we're, we're getting the fullest leverage that we can. And so people with, with a closed mindset, we just can't work with. And so that that's number one, you know. Yeah. Young people, let's move on. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, you know, I think many people probably have the uh, conception that VCs, they just give money and then they're sort of just like, you know, breathing down your neck until they get the earnings report and whatnot. You know, <laughs> But you are, it sounds like you're giving and doing so much more uh, with your brand partners. And I'm curious, what are the primary areas where you guys are typically coming in and either filling in gaps where maybe there's a lack of experience or where things need to be tightened up? Where do you find yourselves adding the most value outside of obviously like the fuel? Yeah, thanks, Amanda. We so th this is an important distinction, at least for our firm. We are we don't see ourselves per se as venture capitalists. Mm. What what we are is we're operating executives, mm -hmm. uh, and you know we've got collectively we've got a pretty small team there are only seven of us but we've got 150 years of operating experience so on our team you know i've run businesses so i i tend to think about and work with teams on strategy on vision on talent in particular on culture we have members of our team who are steeped and deep in in brand and marketing and digital we have customer uh, development distribution, we've got finance, capital, wow. you know, so each one of us has a different skill set. It's very complementary. And and when we go to work with a company, we we offer that full toolkit because we want to be of greatest service that we can. And they don't, you know, let's pick ones, which ones make sense. You don't have to use them all, but understand that they're available to you and, and that we want to help you. And and in particular, we we have a bit of a methodology we like to go through too. We like to first and foremost make sure that you've got a clear mission, vision, and value set, and that you are able to uh, not only articulate that but integrate that into the the entire organization with reinforcing systems. Second is people, clarity of structure, and uh, reinforcing systems there, including culture. You know, how do you get that right? If you've got that and the people and the culture right, then what are the core operating processes? And how do we make sure we've got good brand positioning, the right distribution, the right capital and, and resource allocation? Okay, now you've got all the building blocks. And, and we typically work it in that in that fashion. And you know, that's a that's just a playbook for how to hopefully build a, a highly high performance successful business and and we talk a lot about alignment mm. uh, alignment is one of the most powerful forces in business and you know lack of alignment uh lack of clarity confusion those are all cancers uh within a company and you've got to eradicate them so we really focus to try to help build alignment simplicity focus prioritization this episode is just like business school like you don't need to go to business school <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen to John. You're good. You know how to. I'm thoroughly this. enjoying this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So you've shared with us, you know, what you look for in the companies that you invest in, how you work with the companies that you invest in, and now we're going to flip the script on you. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of clients and listeners out there who have raised for their companies, are currently fundraising, or maybe are looking to fundraise in the future. So we know that there are a lot of people out there who can write a big fat check and call it a day. But, you know, per what you were just saying and per our beliefs, who writes the check is equally, if not perhaps more important. Yeah. So what can those people be on the lookout for, kind of look out for and beware of to make sure that the right person for them and for their business is investing in it? No, that's great. Well, we actually have a pretty simple, you know, methodology. It's called five rules of the raise. And so we've we've got our five rules. And and Rebecca, you couldn't be more right. Um, you know, who you raise from matters as much as what you raise and on what terms. So pick your partners wisely. They're going to be with you a long time. And make sure that you put, you know, bring people into the company or onto the boat that that are going to be there when the seas get rough, right? Because they will get rough. So, you know, think long term, even though many, many entrepreneurs are are in the frenzy of the moment, I've got to get this done. Just don't take money from the wrong people. That could be the worst thing you could do for, for yourself, your company, and your team. You know, and there are a whole bunch of these rules. I won't wax on too long, but understand the terms of what it means to raise. I mean, there's a language around this. So what is a preference? You know, how do you think about dilution, you know, tag along rights? Uh, You've got to build a basic understanding of these different, uh, this language that the venture world will bring to you. And how do you make sure that you're not signing up for something you can't commit to? So there's an education part of it too. And then I, I will talk about how you value your business. Most people are really concerned about the headline of what the valuation is. And a simple illustration, let's just say that I'm going to raise $10 million on a 50 million pre-money, right? That means effectively that, you know, one sixth of your business will be diluted. Okay. So what one sixth is what? 16.67%, something like that. And if you raise that same 10 million on a 40 million, uh, which is a 50 post money, then it's 20%. So you've given away about three points is the delta on that. And you feel like you've given up the world, right? Because you took, well, Mm -hmm. actually, most of the time, you are better off creating a fair value than the full value making sure that the partner you bring in feels like they got a fair deal. Because when that bumpy time comes, they're not going to be as panicked about having paid full price. Um, They're going to see themselves as a valued stakeholder in this. And there may come a time, and most companies face this, where you may have to do a flat or a down round. Well, if you've overvalued the company, then the chances of a down round go up. Yeah. Right. And that is one of the worst things you can do for your shareholders, for yourself, is run into a down round. So you often price yourself out of the market because you become obsessed with the headline valuation. And yet you haven't done the math on the minimal dilution 
it's always a conversation with founders who haven't quite spent the time. And I really encourage them that, again, who you raise from and the terms of the raise matter more than the headline value. Yeah. yeah. So do your homework, do your homework, do your math, do your research, yeah. no dumb questions. And don't get greedy. Yeah. And don't oh, run into yeah, the fire. I have clients that, you know, it's, uh, they run into the fire, right? They know that they're walking into something that they might regret later, but they would prefer to have the money in the hand versus kind of wait and sweat a little bit longer. Um, but they'll be sweating more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of sweating, right, John, you just mentioned that there's going to be bumpy times in every single company. It's inevitable. I'm sure all of us have experienced it. If you're listening, you've probably experienced either directly as a founder or indirectly as an employee. So especially with mission-driven companies, right? Missions are a beautiful thing. They're sexy in today's environment. They can help you do good in the world. But how does a company really double down on living and breathing that mission when the road gets tough? Yeah, I would argue that, frankly, the mission allows you to keep going when the road does get tough. It's the shock absorber. It tethers your team together, right? We are in this for a higher purpose. It leads to better retention. Frankly, if you attract the right capital, they are more patient through these challenge times. They won't give up on you just because you had a bad quarter mm. or capital markets dry up. They stick with it. So I think that actually having that clarity gives you insulation. It gives you a, a buffer uh, to absorb these hard times. But we are in hard times right now, and there are probably a number of people who are really running low on cash and contemplating, how do I keep it alive? Um, and we're having a lot of those conversations right now, and they're, they're difficult conversations. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just have to make sure you, you get your business focused back to its core. You preserve the core, you preserve cash, uh, you communicate as seamlessly and honestly as you can with your shareholders, and you continue to invite your shareholders in to be part of the solution to keep the business going. But they're going to want to see that you have the discipline to have made the hard choices, and it's only then that they'll feel comfortable putting more capital to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you just spoke about, you know, from the CEO, from the founder's point of view, let's switch it over to the employees, right? Because as Amanda mentioned at the beginning of this, our, our clients and our listeners are kind of split into those two groups. So we speak, we work with, we used to be people who work for mission-driven companies. And a lot of folks out there either believe or are told that they need to sacrifice some sort of compensation in order to further the mission. So what are your thoughts on that from an employee point of view? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. I, I think that oftentimes we confuse compensation and salary, right? Compensation, in my view, is what I would call the employee proposition. So take Sakara. Sakara is a wonderful company got beautiful offices, it has food, it has ambience, it has a collegial feeling. Those are all forms of compensation. I frankly. miss the food, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we don't just think simply about compensation as salary. And a lot of mission-driven companies tend to be much more generous when it comes to equity. 
And I will tell you, if I were 25 today and I coached my daughters this way, go find a place where you can have a stake in the game, become an owner. It doesn't even matter if it's one share, but get in there and become an owner and build your long-term value by owning a piece of the business. And if that means you have to take three, five thousand, ten thousand less in salary, you know, make it in the long run, make it on the equity equation. So think about this compensation as being a complete offer or total picture, not just I make sixty-five thousand a year, I make seventy-five over there. Think about what you're giving up by making that move, right? Yeah. You yeah. may make ten thousand more, which you know for most of us is going to be something like six thousand after tax. <laughs> which is going to be something like $500 a month, right? Which is real money. But every month, you know, can I measure my happiness, my quality of life? Is it worth $500 or not? Yeah. I think some of us, I mean, yourself included, have made those decisions, right? I used to work in nightlife and, you know, it was it was a wonderful time, um, but also saving the world, <laughs> you know, wasn't necessarily... Uh, doing anything that was going to serve seven generations from now, <laughs> that's right. for sure. Um, so yeah, certainly can can relate to that as a uh, a qualitative shift in in compensation. Um, so on a similar note, um, the topic of corporate responsibility, and that's sort of like a topic that's been around for a while, for a long time, but it's definitely shifted in this new era where there is so much more transparency and so much more visibility, right? Like companies can't really get away with stuff the way that they did in like the 50s, 60s, you know, like before uh, before everything was on the news and everything was on Twitter in five minutes, right? So I'm curious when you think about like, what does real solid corporate responsibility, what does it look like in terms of ethics, sustainability? How would you define it? And how can companies really live up to their responsibility? Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. And again, I, I kind of set this in a bigger context, like the world has a lot of problems and we've got to solve them. And so business needs to figure out how they're going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So let's start there. What what problem are you trying to solve? I do believe, you know, that it starts, frankly, at the top. I think the board and the CEO and the executive team need to set their principles without equivocation in terms of what are we here to do what who are we serving and how do we serve you know a broader set uh beyond our our shareholders that's where i think corporate uh responsibility begins we also operate on a foundation of trust right that great organizations and cultures are built on trust share prices are built on trust right relationships between uh, shareholders in the company are built on trust. Uh, consumer relationships, you know, and brands are built on trust. So, so being a good corporate steward means you're a trust builder. Mm -hmm. um, it comes down to congruity of of thought, you know, word and, and action. And you've got to walk walk the walk, walk the talk, right? I mean, that's really important. So, having clarity of principle and upholding those things. And, that for me is the greatest. And then, you know, the best organizations have a clear set of metrics. They measure how they're doing over time and, you know, across a, a really balanced scorecard. And I think that's what corporate responsibility is all about today. And we need 
we need to keep building that trust because at least in America, we we have lost trust in mm-hmm. a lot of the enduring institutions around us. And it's why so many people uh, today are putting their trust in business. And we have that trust until we don't. You know, as a leader, you have to think about continually building trust within and through your organization so it blossoms beyond your organization. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, businesses have this tremendous power, like more than individuals. And there's a lot of like, you know, uh, kind of uh, impetus for individuals to use the paper straw and like, you know, do all the kind of minute things that we can do to change the world. And I'm sort of curious, like, is there the same kind of, I don't know if peer pressure is the right world, but like in the business world, right? Like these big businesses that are in, you know, I don't want to vilify, but like oil, cigarettes, right? Like, is there peer pressure coming from the sort of B Corp side, the companies that are making sustainable products? Like are the, the people that are maybe not on the B Corp team, not on the impact team, are they starting to feel pressure at all? Or are they floating in their own island of we're going to keep doing whatever we want? (laughs) 100% feeling the pressure. Good news. So, you know, they they feel it when they try to hire employees and employees ask the tough questions. They feel it from shareholders and from the shareholder review groups. uh, Like if you're a public company, there are standards that are reviewed and, and sustainability, for example, is increasingly one of them. They feel it by the movement of capital and more and more capital is moving into capital with cause. And you look at folks like Blackstone and others that are kind of moving that way. And I think yes is the answer. They're feeling pressure and, you know, no pressure, no diamonds. You know, we got to keep turning these lumps of coal into diamonds. And some of what we see is progress. Some of what we see is greenwashing. I tend to judge companies less on exactly where they are, but more on what their trajectory looks like. Are they moving in the right direction? Yeah. And uh, in in your from your view, what is something that we consumers can do to actually help push this forward? You know, not necessarily our yeah. individual, you know, I keep using the paper straw as an example, but, you know, how can we encourage businesses, vote with our dollars, et cetera, to keep this, you know, moving forward? That's exactly right. Vote vote with your dollars is number one, right? I mean, we've got a $20 trillion economy out there and, you know, we all have a lot of power. The money in our accounts and our credit cards and our wallets, that's real power. And we can use that by making better choices, you know, over time and, and through scale, that makes a difference. But we also can use social media. Companies are really concerned about their reputation and reputational risk and you know, if you see a company doing something you don't agree with, say something, right? Raise awareness to it and and be vocal. And when you see them doing it right, you know, celebrate and reward them. So I think that collectively we have a lot of power to make a positive change. Yeah. And so one final question before we go into a little bit of rapid fire, and you've kind of maybe answered this already, but what is your hope for the future of the business world? Every company becomes a B Corp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. that that would be great. But but I, I'm really you know we again we need to move with pace. But but I hope there is a greater awakening of the role that business can play to solve problems to have a positive impact. I see a lot of that. We need to continue to build that movement through and through. And I think the next generation is going to, the faster that we see the next generation 
rise in terms of leadership, the better off we'll be because there's a there is a different consciousness yeah. uh, between my generation and and the next generation. So, you know that that gives me hope. But we're also on the clock. We don't have that long. I mean, the end game is 2050. You know, yeah. if we're not if we're not fundamentally operating in a whole different way by 2050, the the game's over. Every model that I've ever looked at, you know, predicts the collapse of the system uh, by 2050. So we don't have a lot of time. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us and for being such a champion of sustainability and mission-driven businesses. We need more people like you out there doing this work. And so for all of our listeners, hopefully you feel a little bit inspired to go out there and vote with your dollars, share on social media the good and the bad that you see, and take part in this movement, however that looks like to you. So John, we end with three rapid fire questions. We share the same with everyone. They're easy, no pressure. So here we go. Here what we go. is here we go? What is one tip for working smart? Time. Time is everything. Focus your time. Manage your time. It's your greatest asset. Discipline, rigor on how you set your calendar. Take it right now. Go in and, and start blocking out blocks of time. Time, time, time is is all about working smart. And behind that, then, you know, be clear on your priorities and your goals. I imagine the two go together quite nicely. They do. I mean, you've got to manifest your priorities and your goals first. Right. So when I set my calendar up, those are the things that go in first. And then I fill in around them. There's a great parable called Big Rocks First. Um, you know, yeah. Pastor has yeah. three jars, three jars, big rocks, little rocks, and sand. And, you know, who believes we can get all three into one? Well, if you start with the big rocks, you can get the small ones and the sand in, but it doesn't go the other way. So, what are your big rocks and how do you prioritize them? Make time for those. Awesome. And then what is one tip for working happy? People. Surround yourself with people who give you energy, who uplift you, who believe in you. People, people, people. I'm I'm a huge fan of just spending time with, with the right folks. There's a wonderful book called The Energy Bus that was written. It's all about, you know, surrounding yourself with people who want to drive their own bus and create energy. And, and you got to get the energy vampires out of your mm. life. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> very last question, where can our listeners find you? <laughs> uh, Don't email him nowhere. if you're looking for money. <laughs> yeah. um, we do have a website. It's onebetterventures.com or .co, actually, it's .co. So you can you can certainly find us you know, through Google and come visit our website. And I'm on LinkedIn as well on you know, all the usual places. Yeah. And of course, shop all of your products. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've got some great brands we work with, and you know, brands like Sakara and Everyman Jack, and so we, you know, we love the companies we work with. We, you are the company you keep, after all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much. This truly was, I think, you know, not everybody gets access to people like you, right? People don't always have access to fabulous mentors, people that are not only very principled but also so expert in what they're talking about. And so I know that this episode will be a gift to so many of our listeners who are, you know, charting their own course in business and hoping to do so with mission and vision and, you know, the planet in mind. So thank you so, so much. We're so grateful. Well, Amanda and Rebecca, thank you because of what you do, I'm allowed to 
tell my story, share my lessons, and and you're the amplifier. So I, I'm grateful for what you're doing in the reach and the purpose with which you're you're running your business. So thank you. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate, Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, find us on Instagram at Full Plate, Full Cup. That's at F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E-F-U-L-L-C-U-P or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com www.fullplatefullcup.com